Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's probably about 15 years ago. Um, I've just recently started seeing she is a holistic doctor who is also an MD. She takes insurance if anyone's interested. (laughs) Um, And she's great because I can take the test to her. Isabella wins his book and she'll run through. Um, I guess my question is I just start I started three years ago I guess on the finding out about paleo through somebody that was going to school to be a chiropractor and kind of said, have you ever heard of this? And I was like, isn't that where you eat a lot of meat? And he's like, no, this is what it is. And so I started down that road and I tried to do an elimination diet on myself. And that was like epic fail because the minute I did the strict, you know, six weeks of it, and then I tried to do it on my own, I just failed. And um, in October, um, I was rushed to the hospital um, by ambulance, and they I had adrenal fatigue, and I had taken the flu shot, I guess, and it caused my immune system to crash. And they found out that I had another autoimmune, autoimmune um, PCOS. So that's when I was like, I kind of need to do something about this because this isn't, like, not happening. And as I've been doing that... Um, I've been trying to do strict paleo, um, but I noticed that I still have triggers. And the doctor has me on supplements, B12, magnesium, iron folate, all of those great things. And at first it was like, oh my gosh, I feel alive. And then I would have, I guess, what were called flares. And I would be in bed for a week. And, you know, um, I guess now it's like, should I do the elimination diet again? Could I possibly have SIBO? Because that's something new I'm learning about is SIBO. And is it worth taking the food allergy test? And how do you not just get in this hole of what if? You know what I mean? Like, I guess it's like, and I'm trying to do a lifestyle change. I've quit the high stress job. I am seeing the functional medicine doctor, a nutritionist local around here who specializes in autoimmune um, and was actually diagnosed by Dr. Hyman, Mark Hyman. And so as I'm going through this, I can even hear myself going, oh my gosh, it's almost like I'm stressing myself out by trying to follow this. So I guess what is, it's a, I know it's not a magic pill, but what is the easy way to figure out what's happening to your body through food, lifestyle, and the medical part of that. Before you jump in, what do you mean by it was an epic fail? You mean you do face first and I was like strict, sick. I've done AIP and that was great, but then it was like I would start to eat a couple of things or like a holiday would come and someone would say, oh my gosh, but if you don't have this, you know, grandma's food or this food and I would eat it and then I would just eat whatever. Like it would just be like, well, that didn't work. And then I would feel bad and it would go through. But now it's like I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I had um, a lentil salad 
and it didn't do anything to me. Or I had feta cheese, and that was okay. Um, or I ate fine. I did strict paleo, and it, something happened, and I'm, like, down in the bed. And, and I'm thinking, is that a flare from a lifestyle, or is that a flare from a food? And how do I know how to evaluate what's happening in my life that's so it's, physically? So it's two issues. One is following an elimination diet methodically for long enough to really be able to identify your triggers. And the second one is just being able to follow a restricted plan without sort of falling off the wagon. Do I understand that correctly? Mm-hmm. So trying to deal with both of those. Like, And do you know anything about SIBO? Mm-hmm. I do. So I got the SIBO breath test and? last week, and I have to take the test, and I haven't done it yet. Oh, did you get the at-home one? Yes. So I just take it, and then they send it out, and they go, you either have it or you haven't. Yeah. And then they give you an antibiotic, and then it heals your gut. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it were just a magic I'm like, give all okay, let's <laughs> So the breath test, they're doing hydrogen MFA? Yeah. Yeah, so... So some doctors will order just hydrogen, and some will order hydrogen and methane. If you've got the at-home test, it's almost certainly both. So that's good. So um, some types of um, bacteria that are overgrowing respond really well to to antibiotics. Some don't. They respond better to herbal stuff. I've read that. Okay. So, a, I mean, it sounds like with a good holistic doctor driving this, they will be able to say, you've got methane producers or you've got hydrogen producers, we're going to do one or the other. Um, they might want to do, if it comes back positive, they might want to do a stool test to get even more detailed and be able to say, hey, it's this family or this family. And so we're going to do maybe a combination. Um, so somebody who's really savvy, who's really like, what's overgrowing, where, because the the breath test will give you a sense of where it is, too, depending on how quickly after, like, you do it. So you take your disgusting lactulose concoction, and then you you breathe in the tube before, then you breathe in 15 minutes, right, half an hour, yeah, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so depending on when that spike is, is, like, how far down the um, overgrowth is. So the timing will tell you roughly where it is, and then how mu- like how big the spike is will tell you how bad it is, basically. So um, so a good doctor will look at that, and then we'll look at the, the treatment is not very different based on where it is. It's very different based on what type of bacteria are overgrowing, um, and then it's a few weeks to a few months, depending on what's going on, and they should retest. Okay. So make sure that they're retesting to make sure it's dealt with if it comes back positive. Now, a lot of the symptoms that are symptoms of SIBO can be symptoms of a lot of other things, right? So it could be fructose malabsorption, which is really just a gut health thing and like the barrier health rather than necessarily a bacterial imbalance. It can be a bacterial imbalance that doesn't involve overgrowth. Um, So there's a lot of other things that can be going on. So if it comes back negative, don't feel like, oh, darn, I thought this was going to be my answer. You can think of... I say that every time. You can think of, (laughs) oh, great, I don't have to do rifaximin for weeks on end. Like, the the, the antibiotics are, they're really harsh um, because they basically cause mass genocide of your microbiome pets. Fun times. So, um, 
So whatever your whatever happens there, um, you know the the sort of reestablishing a healthy microbiome protocols. Those are the same, um, and those are things that you could be starting now. So it's things like slowly ramping up your vegetable intake to at least eight servings a day. Um, it's things like eating more fish, reducing stress, being active but not overactive, and getting enough sleep. Yeah, because that was another thing that happened is I joined Orange Theory, which I loved. And it, I mean, I literally went down. It was like, that's what she thought Orange was. Orange Theory the... and adrenal fatigue, not, I yeah. mean, I would also say CrossFit, not necessarily yeah. very compatible with adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Um, depending on your personality and, and how hard you're actually pushing yourself. I mean, some people can go into a CrossFit class and really take it easy and... I'm not one of those people. Um, I, I, so I think there's like, there's this like technical side to your question. And then there's this emotional side to your question. Um, I think we've already kind of started in on the technical. So why don't we kind of wrap that up? And then I think actually the bigger part of this is the emotional side. Mm -hmm. Um, so technical, you can get away with doing the strict elimination part of a diet for as little as two to three weeks before you start, start reintroductions which might make things easier for you to be have that really clean phase be a little bit shorter so you can get into the reintroductions uh, more quickly. Um, the trick is that your you know, lifestyle causing flares is a real thing. So what can really help is keeping a journal and making note. You don't have to be like, I ate a quarter cup of whatever. You could just like, I had a salad. These were the ingredients. Uh, star beside the thing that I haven't eaten for a long time. Um, and try to have a couple of days in between every new thing, because if you do have a reaction, it could be anything you ate in the last eight days if it's food-driven. But know that if you're stressed, if you didn't get enough sleep, if you've been overly sedentary, or if you have been overly active, that can magnify an immune response to a food. There's also all kinds of... Um, external things that go into lifestyle factors other than just sleep. I mean, you know, I don't know what your home situation is, what kind of cleaning products you're using, what kind of storage containers you're using in your foods, what kind of beauty products you're using. Like, there's an endless That's black hole it of, really like, is, what you're right? exposed to. So I think, you know, the, the approach that I've learned to take over the long term is less about, like, let me solve this one problem and then everything will be better. I'm sorry. It's not going to always be like, you're never going to just wake up one day and be like, everything's great. And I have no problems and I'm perfect physical Wait, health. That's not going to happen. It's just, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, what will happen is that the more healthy choices that you make and the longer you nourish your body with all of the different things that we're talking about, the better it should get over time. And I use that word carefully because I don't like the word, but it, there should be a trajectory of when you're doing things that help your body heal and nourish your body, you will feel better over time. And there will be some flares. And, you know, Sarah and I both have thyroid issues. I have celiac. We have a really good friend um, who blogs at Predominantly Paleo, and she gets flares all the time when she detoxes. So even when she's, like, feeling better, 
she will feel worse because it's like all coming out of her. Right. So sometimes you might be doing exactly the right thing and you might flare because your body is getting rid of what is causing the problem. Right. So it's, it's a complicated mess and that's why you need a medical professional. And it's also why consistency is really, really important. And so if you approach it with the concept of, you know, I'm doing this for myself and I feel really good about it. And when you're at a party and someone's like, well, you're not going to eat grandma's cupcakes. You know, I've learned to say, do you not love and support me enough to encourage me to do this thing that's important in my life? And you should see the look on people's faces when they realize that like they're pushing their bad habits on you mm-hmm. and they're doing that because it makes them feel bad that they're indulging and you're not, right? So it's really about changing that mind frame and changing the approach of like, it's cool, we're going to delete that anyway. But I just think, you know, to me, when I started paleo, it was all about like, I can't eat, I don't eat, I won't eat, instead of I choose not to because it doesn't make me feel good. And when I start the snowball of I'm not sleeping, I eat more sugar, I'm doing the things that I know don't help me feel my best, then it's easier for me to kind of look at my life and be like, gosh, I am not making the right choices right now and I don't feel good. I'm going to fix that, right? Like that ownership and accountability really allows me to get back on track easier than feeling like this guilt and shame and frustration about things not going the right way. And so that it's so much easier said than done to be like, look at this positively and everything's going to be fine. But I, I feel like what you're doing right now is you're kind of at that like dark bottom hole where you're just like everything's awful and you just really want solutions and unfortunately even if you find solutions like even if you get on your optimal thyroid medication even if you find out you have SIBO and they give you the medication and everything's flushed like managing your gut health is something that you have to do for the rest of your life like you can't just fix it one day and then everything will be better and that's something that will happen for the rest of your life so it's a choice that you need to make now for all of us. Like, am I doing this today so that I, you know, can solve this problem immediately in front of me? Or am I doing this so that I can have the longest life possible and feel my best throughout the whole part of my life? And that's the only thing that has allowed me to stay back on path or, you know, when I'm feeling frustrated or overwhelmed by everything that's happening. Yeah. And I just wanted to personally say thank you guys for your community and, your books and your work and your Instagram and it's just I think when I first started this three years ago it was like just me and a friend and a guy and I was like oh what's this okay and now it's like more and more people I hear having stomach issues and all of these things and now I feel like I'm in a better place last month my goal was to just be I wasn't going to research I put the books away it was like okay it's a great goal yeah it was like you're just going to be and then um this month was is going to be just to pick an activity that's a low key activity. Um, I'm doing yoga now and I meditate, but I just want to like maybe do the elliptical or the treadmill and slowly start into it. But I definitely think that it helps to know that other people are going through this, and so then you're not really like mourning this old life, but celebrating the new healing part of your life and. Um, you know, somebody says, I think it might even be Tony Robbins. It's like life happens 
um, for you instead of to you. And I've really been trying to look at everything as a gift, and I really appreciate you guys being here. You're a true gift. Thanks. And thanks to everybody here for being part of our community. I think that the thing is um, that the, the life happening for you and not to you and mourning the old life, I think for me, um, there was a part of time where I looked back and I mourned like, I am never going to have a good cinnamon roll ever again. <laughs> like, that, that like really overwhelmed me, right? Like, I could reintroduce all these different things on AIP, but like... I'm celiac. I'm never, unless I want to give myself intestinal cancer mm-hmm. and potentially anaphylactic shock, because that's what my mom has. Like, I will never, ever be able to eat gluten again. And instead of, like, thinking about that as a negative, I look back and I'm like, why do I need that? Like, why? I don't. I really don't. There are so many great things. We are better cooks now. We eat better food now than we ever did before when we were eating three bowls of Cocoa puffs, yeah, a day. Cocoa puffs, yeah. right? Like I was eating all kinds of some Fruit Loops, crap, yeah. processed <laughs> food all the time. And so, like, if I were in a bubble and I looked at my life then, and I did not, we did not have a lot of resources and wherewithal because we didn't have personal drive, we didn't have energy, we didn't have all these things, right? And we weren't motivated by how we could help and inspire others and be our best selves. Like we didn't have all that. What I had was a bowl of cocoa puffs or I could have all the stuff I have now and home cooked meals that literally taste better than 99% of the restaurants I've ever eaten at. Like I'm not losing. Um, It's really a win-win situation because I'm not only am I healthier, but I've also made my life better. So it really depends on how you want to look at it. You know, like I could look at it like, Maybe if I'm ever on death row, I could have good fried chicken. (laughs) No, like, why would I want that? You know, like, my mom always talks about, like, if she's on death row, her last meal would be blah, blah, blah. Because that's the only context in which she can think about gluten, right? I would get myself first. Yeah, I'm like, Mom, why would you be on death row? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Some like, questions you should never ask your mother. I, know, I, know. Um, I, I kind of wanted to add that, you know, when you were first asking your question, one of the things that I heard was, I'm doing this, 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 and hey, guess what? It's too hard. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that can really help is breaking it up into pieces. We don't need to make all of the changes all at once. Um, And we each have our own sort of tolerance to how much change we can handle at a certain time, right? That's why, like, Stacey and I were both like, I'm going to start paleo on this day. And I'm going to jump in, and I'm just going to do it. And, you know, I'm coming up to my six-year paleo anniversary, and I have not intentionally consumed gluten in that entire period of time. And the couple of times it was cross-contaminated were really bad. Mm-hmm. Bad days. <laughs> but um, but that is that was my tolerance, and it was still just diet. I started with diet, and then the diet got refined. I started AIP, but just the elimination part of it four months later. And then I started working on the nutrient density part. And then I started working on, I mean, I was paleo for what, like two and a half years before I went to a CrossFit gym. Like, and that was like, now I feel like CrossFit something I want to try. Um, and not, you don't have to do CrossFit ever. Like, but it's, um, it's been 
bits and pieces and it's been a refinement. So here's this basic thing that I'm ready to do. And now that I've got that down, what's the next little piece I'm going to work on? And, you know, and like Matt and Stacy literally wrote the book on how to take the diet part of paleo and break it up into manageable steps. But like, don't be hard on yourself that you're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Nobody actually is. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can have one goal at a time and you can do it without a deadline. So you can have, you know, rather than a month of I'm going to do this and then next month I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this part until I've got that down. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's three days and maybe it's three months. And then I'm going to add this next part. You can tinker and refine. I mean, that is why we often talk about this being a journey. It's because there's no, there's no, you know, with, with paleo, it's not, it's not a goal centered diet, right? This isn't to lose 10 pounds for a wedding. Right. It's about living our best lives, having our, our best health for the rest of our lives. And so part of that is finding sustainability. And if, if it's too overwhelming to be sustainable, then where can I simplify? What is the thing? What is, you know, what is the thing that if I keep this one thing in right now, not grandma's cupcakes, <laughs> but you know, this one thing that I get a lot of joy out of, okay, I'll keep this one thing in and that's going to make the other things easier. And maybe that's a gluten-free brownie, right? Like, uh-huh. or, or, you know, something, something that's not related to food, but like where, where is this, where can I do a give and take so that I can tackle the change that's going to give me the best bang for my buck now? And then as that gets easier, because it does, you know, you see all these magazine articles that say, you know, paleo is hard because you have to get used to ordering your hamburger without the bun or whatever. <laughs> reason. I have read that in USA Today. Oh, my God. Um, it is a little hard with the cheese for a while, right? Yeah, everybody mourns cheese. Everybody mourns something different. Yeah. That's the thing is there's like a top five. Okay, it's cheese. It's cream and coffee. It's Diet Coke. Yeah. Um, heard a lot of people. There's, there's like literally a handful of food that I hear over and over again and people are like well I would go paleo except for this one thing and I'm like then just do it and don't do that like just don't change I mean, that it's one thing. hard if that one thing is like junky pizza. I have a recurring nightmare where I'm eating pizza and I'm, on, I'm halfway through my fourth slice I'm always halfway through my fourth slice where I realize what I've just done <laughs> and I like, like wake, up in a, I wake up in a cold sweat because it's got all the gluten and all the nightshades and all the dairy, yep. the three things that make me the most ill yep. in my dream, like I've never I've had mild contamination with you know each of those in the last almost six years I've never three like, and a half slices. consumed three and a half slices of them and I have no idea what would happen. So in my dream, I'm like suddenly realizing what I've done and I'm waiting to react and I don't know what's going to happen. And it's literally like wake up my heart's racing level dream. So here's the thing is if you're having recurring dreams like that, there's stress on the lifestyle factor, right? And so we got to like pull that back because the food should not be stressful. I have a recurring dream too where I like accidentally eat gluten because I think that it's there's like ice cream cone dream there's a pizza dream there's like different things and I like just assume pizza for it's, I just assume that it's gluten free for whatever reason and then like after I find out that it's not and then I'm always like it wasn't even worth it 
Like I remember right. like in my head yeah. in the dream, I think that way. And that usually when I wake up, I'm like, okay, I am stressing about some, like yeah. I'm thinking about food too much. It's become too overwhelming. Like I need to figure out how to simplify and how to de-stress because it's, it's, it just doesn't need to be difficult and stressful. It really, it's, it's food. It's how we nourish ourselves. And there are so many different ways to make healing, nourishing, nutrient-dense foods in ways that are delicious and not stressful. And, you know, I see, like, cooking shows and people are just, like, sipping their wine and stirring the pot. And I'm like, wouldn't that be great, you know? Like, meanwhile, I come home from work and Matt's, like, sweating and there's a kid that's, like, dragging on one of his legs and there's pots and pans piled up everywhere and he's like, there's gonna be light. And like, okay. You know, like, that's real life, right? But there's gotta be a balance somewhere in between where you know, you can find what works for you, both from a nourishing perspective as well as from an emotional perspective. Yeah. I feel like I'm going through that, you know, um, it's kind of funny, but I've, you know, my lifestyle has changed so much where I, I keep telling my friends cause they say, we never see you anymore. And I say, well, that's cause I'm saying no to other things so I can say yes to myself. So on Sunday, if you want to see me, I'll be in my kitchen meal prepping, for the week and you, I, I could use some hands, you know, doing dishes or you got to try the spaghetti that I make zucchini spiral or whatever. And so I've kind of tried to have to change that lifestyle. And I, I think I've really struggled with how that was going to affect other people in my life. And, um, and now I realize the people that are in my life are meant to be in my life too. So I don't know. It just hasn't been a food thing, I guess. And um, that's one of the biggest things that I have had to learn through this is that there is such an emotional component, mental component of that. Um, And even though it's taken me the three years to get there, it doesn't feel like work anymore. And that's a wonderful feeling. So it's one of the things that I like to tell people who are sort of new. It's not hard. It's going to feel hard at first. But it's not actually hard. There's a learning curve. And that's a different thing than... And it doesn't... Even if you're talking about the autoimmune protocol, which is a far more restrictive version of paleo, it is not hard. But there, but there's a learning curve. There is figuring out what your new comfort foods are. What are those recipes that are going to make you feel nourished we all have these emotional attachments to food so what are those what are these new recipes that are going to give you that emotional satisfaction from that food what are the quick meals that you're going to whip together on a weeknight when you're starving and you you know walked in the house and you've got 10 minutes to cook you know it's it part of it is refiguring out how this new framework fits into our lives um rather than you know, forcing it, right? It's, it's, we're not trying to get a, you know, square peg into a round hole. We're just trying to learn how, you know, we all had to do this at some point, right? We all, all learned how to cook. We all learned how to be grown ups. It's just kind of doing a little bit of it again, not all of it, because we've, we've learned lots of lessons that are still transferable. But, um, but there's, it's a learning curve. And then once we get to the other side of it, you know, we got it. We're good. We got it. Um, and that you can break it up into multiple different steps that way. And when you're on the other side of that learning curve, you tackle the next, the next thing. It doesn't, you know, I think that if you're really struggling to keep everything together, um, it's, you can let something go. 
so that the things that you're working to keep together is manageable. That it's a, you know, you know, it's a bite that you can chew. Huh? Mm-hmm. Huh? <laughs> that was a good one. Um, they appreciated my pun. I heard a couple laughs. They were being polite. Oh, see, I got um, But yeah, I think that figuring out how to take on a more manageable chunk so that it's not stressing you out is going to be key to being able to sustain it over the long t- the long haul. Thank you very much. You're welcome. No, I just realized that the last like 10 words could have been the entire answer to the question. We always drag things out longer than they need to be. Well, it's because these other people are intimidated. They don't want to ask questions, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Questions. questions. So my name is Melissa. Um, and my question um, is not about me. Um, so Stacy, um, could you possibly talk a little bit about starting a paleo journey um, and and what do you think are the best steps for somebody thinking about dipping their toe in who doesn't have a gallbladder mm. and how that's different for the rest of us? Oh, and um, like in Plainus, Sarah, I know that you have experienced that, but much. from the perspective of someone who's sure very much thinking about starting. So the biggest thing with not having a gallbladder is understanding that part of your digestive tract is missing. I feel like you're throwing her under the bus a little bit. This is what I do. It's fine. Okay, so I'm going to make eye contact with you, but it's yep. only in a positive way. Um, <laughs> so the thing that was most um, most important with the gallbladder was uh, eliminating wheat and processed oils. Those were like the first two things that I immediately saw. I learned later, and Sarah actually did some um, posts both on my site and her site, about how wheat intolerance is linked uh, clinically to uh, gallbladder removal quite frequently. So um, celiacs very often have their gallbladders removed because they, before they realized they had wheat uh, intolerance, they, that was a, their body's, that was one of the things that their body was triggered by. So um it's not necessarily like a gallbladder thing with wheat. It's just that if you have a gallbladder problem, you probably also have a wheat problem. The gallbladder itself can um, no longer store bile for you in order to help the digestive process. So processed oils in particular were really difficult because there wasn't enough bile and digestive fluids to break down the really crappy, crappy food and oil. Um, And what would happen um, is what I call the everybody out moment after you've eaten if you have bad oils. Um, And it would happen to me at least once a day, right? So if you want to talk about nutrient malabsorption, um, if you are not allowing the food to be digested and to stay in your body, because literally the minute that you eat something, it can no longer sit there and it's like, it's just like literally it's a problem um that little piece i'm gonna turn that into a gift (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what happens so like my mom doesn't have a gallbladder and i love you if you're listening mom but she does not listen to her body right like she straight up knows that she can't have corn and she has corn all the time because she doesn't have anaphylactic reaction to it she's like it's fine it's Sometimes food. I'm like, no, it's not, mom. Like, you don't have to go to the corn. She also has the same issues because she doesn't have a gallbladder. And so I was talking to her the other day, and she was talking to me about uh, digestive things. And I was like, well, if I eat that, then it just 
you know, I have loose stools. And she's like, oh, yeah, that t- I totally have loose stools, but that's fine. <laughs> no, that's not fine. So the thing that's important to consider is that, you know, you're watching the state of your movements will guide you on how your body is digesting them. And so the first and most important thing was fats for me. Like I had to eat high quality fats and oils. So the ones that I do well with are not necessarily the ones that like Sarah did research on and said I would do well with like coconut oil is said to be one that will be really great. I don't necessarily do really well with coconut oil. Like I don't know why, but maybe I just have a coconut issue and other people would do well with coconut oil. But to me, avocado oil, um, and fats, so like tallow, lard, duck fat, things that are solid, butter that are solid and in a room temperature, those are things that my body does really well with. We most often cook with avocado oil and lard. Those are our two main uh, cooking uh, tools. And then we dress food with butter. So like, you know, we put butter on green beans or something, but we're not often like cooking entire things in butter. Um, and those are the fats that my body really tolerate. So I would say fats are the, you know, wheat and, and fats are the first thing that like have to be addressed. And I have a really detailed blog post on like that first and foremost. Um, but then the second thing is understanding that fiber is going to be really difficult to digest. Like insoluble fiber is also really difficult to digest. So when Sarah says like eat more vegetables, eat more vegetables, I have to be really careful about the kind of vegetables that I eat. No, I've been doing it for, you know, seven years. I'm a lot more aware and comfortable with, you know, what I can eat and in what quantities and that kind of stuff. But for a really long time, I would eat cabbage. Like we love cabbage and I like the way that it tastes, but Matt wouldn't cook it until it was like limp, right? He would cook it. So it still had a little bit of a bite to it and it would tear my stomach apart. Not in the same way that the fats, (laughs) but it would tear me apart internally. And it was because I didn't have enough stomach acid to break down that really tough fiber. So what I've learned is that I don't, in fact, have FODMAPs. It's not actually a problem with some of the, you know, cruciferous vegetables and some of the other foods that for a long time I just kept, like, grasping at all of these things and in search of what's the real problem. What I realized is that they were just foods that were high in insoluble fiber, and if I wanted to eat them, I needed to cook them. So um, we cook the, the cabbage longer, and I can eat bowls and bowls of huge amounts of cabbage, no problem, um, which we do. It's one of our favorite vegetables, but it has to be cooked all the way through. Um, and then the third component is making sure that when you're starting your first meal of the day, whatever it might be, that you start slow, right? So you have to kind of like reintroduce food to your, um, your, your body. Like, Intermittent fasting is not going to work without a gallbladder because you can't go 14 hours and then have a huge meal and your body properly digest it because there's no storage of bile to break down that big meal. Like most people, if they don't eat for a long time, it stores up. And then when you eat that big meal, it can break it down and you can digest it properly. But if, you know, for me, when I was intermittent fasting, I would, I always had problems in the morning. Like Every time, about 20 minutes after breakfast, I would have problems. And I thought it was eggs. I did like an egg elimination. I did all this kind of stuff. And then I realized what was happening is that 
I had no bile to eat this like high fat, large meal that I was eating in the mornings. And so I can't do butter coffee in the morning. Um, and I have to, I have to like take a few bites of food and then relax and do something else. Or I can start with like, you know, a piece of fruit and then I can have my breakfast, but I have to like slowly reintroduce food in the morning to kind of like wake my system up and help with the digestive process. So those are the like biggest three things. And really that's, that's it. Like once I kind of got those things down, I don't have any issues anymore. Um, and while my mom claims that she doesn't have issues, I know she does. Um, so, and I know there's a lot of people that don't have gallbladders that are like, Oh, I'm totally fine. I, I don't have any problems. Like I would really encourage you to think about like being fine using quotation marks as like, is that the case that you have, you know, the proper, size and texture stools um are you you know having reactions digestively after you eat things um and it might not be a food allergy as i was grasping onto for the first you know four or five years of paleo it turns out no it's just that i don't have those digestive enzymes stored up to help me break down some of the foods that i was trying to eat and when i was trying to eat them um i also there's supplements and all kinds of stuff. I was going to... You should work with a medical professional. <laughs> I, I, just to introduce the idea of supplements, because you can take ox bile, um, which is a... It's bile in a pill. Um, and you typically take it at the beginning of your meal. And um, you do need to know that, you know, taking too much can uh, cause diarrhea. So then it can be really hard to know if you've got not enough or too much. So finding that Goldilocks zone is going to be different for every person and it depends a bit on you. It depends on how quickly your liver is producing bile because you do, you are still making it. It's just not being stored and released as a, as a bolus into the small intestine. Um, so it sort of depends on how, how quickly your liver is making it. So how much you're actually getting into your digestive tract depends on the composition of your meals. Um, but that can be really, really helpful, um, especially while you're trying to isolate which foods are problematic foods. And one of the things, uh, so what bile actually does is it, um, it, so as lipases are breaking apart fat, bile is helping that process. So, and then it's also helping with the absorption. So the bile salts help to create a sort of structure around um, small fat molecules and bring them into your body. So bile is helpful not just in absorbing fat from your foods and digesting fat, but also digesting and absorbing fat-soluble vitamins. And so one of the biggest things that we see with people without gallbladders is deficiencies in vitamin A, vitamin D, um, even vitamin E and vitamin K. So um, that's where ox bile can be very, very helpful in terms of restoring nutrient sufficiency with those, especially if you're starting from a place where you're still trying to make dietary changes towards a more nutritious diet and you have those nutrient deficiencies that need to be addressed. So it can be a really good um, tool. Some people love it and they take it for their whole lives. Um, some people, you know, Stacy is the perfect example of somebody who's really tinkered with what do I tolerate and what do I not so that I don't have to take this. And those are both perfectly valid options. Um, and, you know, most doctors will help you figure out which brand of ox bile to take and how much to take. It's not, that's not a weird woo-woo thing. Um, so that, that's another option as you're... I mean, it is a little weird, but it's legit. <laughs> 
it's it's legit enough that most normal doctors would totally be on board with you take it's weird that's not like I took out your gallbladder. Here's what you do. Like, it's not part of a standard protocol, even though it probably should be for most people, because um, most people are not going to do the level of tinkering that Stacy's done to figure out what life without a gallbladder is like. So it probably should be part of your discharge. Here's your here's your bottle of oxbile, and here's how you figure out. No, how instead, much to take. most doctors tell you you don't need a gallbladder. You won't even know that it's gone. Just let me take it in the event that you might not need it. Like, that, you know, it might make you feel better. Rush into taking it out. Not, you know, some people have emergency situations that, you know, it needs to go. But most people I hear from, like, looking back reflectively, they didn't even need to have it taken out right away. And then... There's some surgeons who will take it out while they're in there for something else. Yeah. And then when, you know, when I went back to my doctor and I was like, listen, I'm having problems. Like, I... I I don't talk about these things, okay? But there was there was problems. And I'm like, you know, describing what's happening to the doctor, he's like, well, that's normal. I'm like, no, that's not normal. <laughs> like, and why didn't you tell me that this was likely going to happen after I had it, you know? And it was um, really interesting to, to look back. And, you know, when my mom had hers out, they told her she just needed to eat less fat. And so what she did, because we were vegetarians, is she just, like, was eating more soy and more gluten in these, like, vegetarian, fake Morningstar-type products. And she was eating no fat at all, but it was getting worse and worse and worse. And so I'm like, you know, now looking back, I'm like, how are these doctors not realizing, like, what I'm telling people to do isn't actually making them better. And I don't know if they believe that like, Oh, I'm not actually listening to what you said. Um, and that's why she's still sick or like what, but it's, it's very obvious now uh, that, you know, from both the, the research and from practical application that it's not actually a low fat diet that will help your gallbladder. Um, so there's an entirely different set of protocol that's like on the, on our blog and on the internet and all these comments and stuff that we got in that post that um, people have improved their gallbladder before it goes out. So people who are listening on the podcast, I would encourage them to check that out if they've got gallbladder problems because all of these things that I've described in the back end, if I could go back in time and try to resolve that, I would definitely do it. Um, I don't... I didn't have a blockage. I didn't have an emergency situation. I was having... time. What? You had time. I had, to, I had stones. I had really bad stones, and I was having attacks and stuff. But there's things that you can try to do to resolve that instead of removal. But nothing I can do about it now. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, like, complainus, it sucks. <laughs> I don't think my 10-year-old heard me use that word, so we're good. Um, so it's an autoimmune disease. Um, what I learned is that it is not a typical primary autoimmune disease. It was the first one that I had diagnosed. I started having lesions in my early 20s. Um, but it is most commonly a secondary autoimmune disease, which means um, something like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or celiac disease are the most common. I mean, they're just the most common autoimmune diseases, period. Hashimoto's is the number one. Um, but they're more likely to be primary. So with lichen planus, it's worthwhile exchanging holistic doctor numbers here um, and doing a bit more digging and seeing what else might be going on, getting a full thyroid panel done, doing blood tests for celiac, especially, you know, you can actually do the blood tests now if you're at the beginning of your journey. Um, You have to have eaten gluten within the last month for those tests to have a chance of 
showing up positive. And nobody who gives up gluten wants to go back on it just for a test. At that point, you go, I'll just live with the hypothetical, and we're good. Um, so so dig- digging a little deeper to figure out what else might be going on, that's really worthwhile. Um, lichen planus itself, there's a few nutrient deficiencies that it's really strongly linked to. Um, zinc, which is autoimmune disease in general, is linked with zinc deficiency. Um uh, vitamin D, autoimmune disease in general, is linked with vitamin D deficiency. You can get tested very easily for vitamin D deficiency. You can get tested for zinc deficiency, but that's going to require a holistic doctor. Most doctors could care less. Um, and vitamin C, ironically enough, you, everyone thinks that vitamin C is so easy to get, um, and still something like 65% of us don't get enough. Um, so, um, so vitamin C rich, and you know, that's where you can get like really into the adding lemon juice to your water and, and really into things like broccoli and um, leafy greens have vitamin C. Like there's lots of vegetables that have it and, and in addition to fruit. Um, but also, you know, vitamin C supplements typically are inexpensive. Um, know that most of them are corn-based. So uh, that can be a, a lot. Like a lot of people who are having issues with wheat have issues with corn. So uh, then you'll need to research really carefully the source um not everyone who's allergic because it's so right it's isolated it should be pure vitamin c in these capsules so then it becomes very important the brand um but there are ones that are corn you know listed as corn free on the label um the one that i take is from douglas labs um it's a powder that you mix with water it tastes vile it makes you do this um like six times in a row, right? That's, you watched me take it last night. Yeah. It's like, and then it makes you like stick out your tongue. And like, it's just, you know, because it's, it's intense. Doesn't it sound wonderful? <laughs> you can ramp up. Alternatively, you could eat fruits and vegetables. Um, I, but I have to do both. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing with lichen planus is that very high vitamin C intake seems to be very, very helpful. Um, so I actually take eight grams a day. Um, and that was something that was recommended to my functional med- by my functional medicine specialist after I had responded really well to vitamin C IVs. That was 50 grams in an IV. So after I'd gone through that for months, I was like, you know, these IVs are like $200 a pop. I'd really like to not do them every week, maybe. Uh, well, why don't we try you on oral vitamin C and see what happens? And so that was where we landed. Um, but then, no, it's an autoimmune disease. So this is completely linked to your immune system being a jerk and attacking you instead of things that are attacking you. And there's a lot of things that are immune triggers. So wheat is an immune trigger. Soy is an immune trigger. Um, peanuts are an immune trigger. Tomatoes are really inflammatory. They really ramp up our immune responses. Um, and that's why... Don't get too down. I know, it sounds really Do you know depressing. what? Life without tomatoes is okay. It's, it's okay. Tomatoes were probably the food that I missed the most. Like, when we talk about, like, the food... And I've never been able to reintroduce them. And it's fine. There's other delicious... There's actually ways you can make pasta that are delicious without tomatoes. What's that word? Pasta. That's not the word. No. <laughs> Pasta? It's not with an O. How do you say it? It's not. It's pa- pow, pow. You had like a W, like like pasta. No, it's pasta. That's what I just said. No, I did not add a W. <laughs> um, 
It's okay. I like your Canadianisms. I'm glad you still have a couple. They're 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 slowly you melting and away. Me. I know. I told you I'm assimilating. It's good. Um, so you know, it's one of those things that you know we already talked about the learning curve. There is one. Um, there is this more therapeutic version of paleo called the autoimmune protocol, and it involves extra eliminations, which is why most people get completely terrified of it because it means no tomatoes and no eggs and no nuts and no chocolate and no coffee. And no alcohol. It's kind of the worst. So again, you know, we also talked about if leaving one thing in your life makes everything else doable, plenty of people never eliminate coffee and they do the rest of the autoimmune protocol. Or they never eliminate chocolate and they do the rest of the autoimmune protocol. Um, There's also, right, those were the first two foods I added back in. And I actually failed my first coffee reintroduction, which was very sad. And then had to wait another six months and try again. Um... But so this this version is not just extra eliminations and extra focus on very nutrient dense foods because immune disease in general the immune system is a nutrient hog um, and the we the immune system uses more nutrient resources in its regulatory actions so in the aspect of the immune system that is controlling inflammation and making sure that the immune system doesn't do silly things like attack you instead of a virus those things require more nutrient resources than attacking a virus. So when you have nutrient deficiencies, the immune system basically can't turn itself off. So fixing those nutrient deficiencies can be extremely therapeutic in autoimmune disease. There's hundreds of studies linking specific nutrients to specific autoimmune diseases. Um, But generally, you know, you're looking at vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, Iron, magnesium, copper, um, B vitamins in general being super important. Omega-3 fats and fiber being really, really important for immune system regulation. Um, And so the autoimmune protocol doesn't just look at cutting out some of the more inflammatory foods that are still part of the standard paleo diet, but it looks at like really honing in on the foods that have the most nutrients in them. So it encourages consuming more seafood, um, including shellfish, and it, it... Tons of vegetables. Um, They may have to be cooked all the way through, but like, however, you can eat more vegetables. Smoothies are another great way because they're sort of, you think of a smoothie as being like perfect chewing for you because how could you ever chew a food that much? Um, so it helps the digestion, right? You've, you've yeah. almost pre-digested that food by putting it in a blender. Soup, soups does the same and stews, thing. anything that like basically breaks down the food for you will help with that digestive. And actually, so she got really paleo, the uh, phase three of it. So focus on, you know, like their earlier, easier things first or whatever you can take on. But it outlines phase three as being all of these foods that Sarah's talking about. Um, the more you can add into your diet, the more nourishing and healing will happen. And we don't need to mention organ meat, right? It's in there. Yeah. Organ meat is usually the thing that is the scariest for people. And it's okay if you just keep it at a distance. Well, no, it's okay if you wait for that part. Um, especially if you're eating some, some fish and shellfish, if that's not something that you also find challenging. Some people do. Um, but it's, it's all about honing in on the foods that are going to f- fix those nutrient deficiencies so the immune system can regulate itself while avoiding foods that might be triggers and then working on sleep and stress management and activity, all of those together. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a big thing, and it's okay to take it step by step. Um, but there is uh, 
so there are some some clinical trials that have been done with the autoimmune protocol. Um, there's uh, Terry Wall's work that has shown that it um, can reverse symptoms of multiple sclerosis. And there's an upcoming paper that's going to be published. It's accepted for publication that's coming this fall um, that looked at inflammatory bowel disease. And 11 out of 15 uh, participants in that clinical trial were in full remission at six weeks. So it's a very, very powerful dietary approach, dietary intervention. Um, that doesn't mean that you might not have to do some other things if they find out it's Hashimoto's thyroiditis is really the underlying autoimmune disease, you'll probably want to do thyroid hormone replacement. Like, it doesn't mean there isn't other tinkering that can, that can happen. Um, doesn't mean that you don't, you know, might, you might want to take a vitamin D supplement if you're vitamin D deficient, right? There's other things that you can add on to it. Um, and it doesn't mean that conventional medicine is all bad. There's some great stuff that we can, we can use. Um, but it is a really amazing Intervention it takes a few months for most people. Skin conditions take to, tend to take longer, and it's because skin's a low priority organ. So your body's going to heal internally long before it heals externally. So um, any kind of skin autoimmune diseases tend to be slower responders. Not always. Some people get crazy responses, um, but most people, you know, it takes a few months—three, four, five months—of of dedication before they really start to be able to look back and go. Oh wow! See how far I've come. So patience, knowing that upfront is really important because, as, especially as you're going through that learning curve. Remember, we're not using the word hard or difficult, but going through that learning curve, knowing ahead of time that you're going to have to be patient, you're going to have to kind of stick to your guns a bit and be really determined to get through that transition is really helpful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.